You're listening to the Misty Creek Community Church Podcast. To learn more about Misty Creek Community Church, visit our website at mistycreekchurch.org. Today's message is from Senior Pastor Stephen Street. Amen. We are chosen. We are not forsaken. I got to tell you, I had my eye on that woman singing the alto part up there. Quite attractive. For those of you who are watching, you're like, whoa, that was my wife. Thank you very much. But wow, we are, we are just blessed beyond measure how, how God just flows through our worship team and his message comes across through song. And it's, we're just, we're thankful. So I'm going to give you guys, give the God a round of applause through our, our worship team. Well, today is the, uh, the one-year anniversary of worshiping here in the Stone Chapel, and I want to I tell you a story, a story of how I became chosen. You see, for nearly the last 10 or 12 years, really even longer than that, I was appointed to be a pastor, to, to serve a church, and what that means is I didn't really have a lot of say-so in that, and I went where I was sent, and God blessed us no matter where we went. And it was a group of people who made that decision with God's guidance on where I would go and where I would serve God at in a different community of faith. And that was great, and that was wonderful. But just a little more than a year ago, for the first time, I was, was not appointed. I was not Um, sent somewhere where I didn't know where I was really going and didn't know the people. I was chosen. I was chosen by God first and foremost, and then I was chosen by a group of people, a community of faith. And that's what the the word church means anyway. It's a community. It's It's a community of believers. We get the word ecclesia, which is church, which means a gathering of people, a gathering of believers that chose me and my family and also chose Doug Allen and his family. There's nothing like being chosen, being wanted, and being needed. Do you know what that's like? All of us probably at some point in our life have felt like we were forsaken. We were lost and struggling, couldn't find our way. Maybe we asked the question, am I really good enough? Do I have a purpose? Do I have a cause? God, what do you want for me? What do you want me to do? It takes me to another story, a true story that happened in a church I served several years ago. I was preaching, just started the sermon, and a big burly man walked in the back of the sanctuary, and he sat down in the very back. And my eye was drawn to him because he was an enormous man. And that Sunday, I preached a sermon about about being good enough and about God's grace and about him loving us no matter what we've done, no matter who we are and where we come from. And I wanted to speak to that man after the service was over, but he was out. He was gone, nowhere to be found. But lucky for me, he left a visitor's card, and I read that card and had his name on it and his cell phone number, and he had checked on that card that he wanted to know more about the church, and he also wanted to know more about about the Christian faith. Well, every pastor loves that. So right after lunch, I mean right after lunch, I called him on that cell phone number and he he picked up the phone and introduced myself, told him who I was, and he said, well, thank you for calling. That was a powerful message today, really like your church. And I said, yeah, well, I noticed that you checked. You wanted to know more information about the church and that you wanted to know more about the Christian faith. And he said, yeah, I kind of jumped a gun on that. It felt good while I was there, but I had some time to think about it and I'm, I'm just not ready. 
right now. And I'd just appreciate it if you would drop it. Just don't, don't contact me anymore. And man, my heart sank. And I respected him. He was a big old burly guy. And I was on the phone with him. I said, okay, but I want you to know I'm going to continue to pray for me. And he said, whatever. Oh, man, this guy's stubborn. Well, a couple of days went by, and his face and his name would not get out of my heart. God kept putting his face and name right there in front of me. God said, call him again. Well, I, was like, I don't want to bother this guy, so I said, I said, I'll text him. Maybe he doesn't text, but I'll text anyway. So I texted him, and I said, hey, this is Pastor Stephen. I, I know what you said and everything, but I just want you to know God's placed you on my heart today, and I really, I really want to talk to you some more and pray with you or care about you and just want to get to know you. And he responded right back. Like I said before, I don't want to be bothered. Please don't contact me anymore. I thought, well, there you go, Lord. I've tried, and I did everything I could, so I need to move on. A couple of days pass. Sure enough, the guy's name and his face, they just keep coming up in my, my, my sight and in my heart. And God is telling me, call him again. <laughs> you don't understand, God. Yes, I do. I do understand. Call him. I reluctantly picked up the phone. And the answer machine picked up. He didn't pick up. I was like, thank you, God. And I left that message. I said, hey, it's Pastor Stephen again. I know at this point I'm harassing you. I, I know I'm bothering you. But I got to tell you this. This is the love of God pursuing you, and I can't stop. Please call me back. I left it at that. Within 30 minutes, he called me back. He said, okay, pastor, what do you want to say? I said, oh, thank you. I said, again, I, I know I'm bothering you. I, I know I'm getting on your last nerve, but I want you to know that God keeps placing you in my heart, and God's love is not going to stop pursuing you, and he's pursuing you through me. So I'm just a spokesperson for him. I want you to know that. And God wants you to know that he loves you and that no matter what you've done, your past failures, whatever it is, that he cares for you and that you are good enough. And regardless if you receive this or not, God is not going to stop pursuing you. He's not going to give up on you because he's chosen you. You're his child. And there was a pause on the phone. And then in a very emotional voice, he said, no one. No one has ever said those words to me, that I'm good enough, that I'm loved, that they care about me. Do you have any idea what I've done? I said, I don't. I don't, but you're a child of God, and that's all I need to know. And he loves you, and he wants you to know how much he loves you. And all he asks in return is for you to love him through his son, Christ. And he said to me, well, let me tell you about my life. I said, go ahead, please do. And he was the most vulnerable I think any human being could be. He let out his heart that day. Everything he had gone through in his life, I mean some terrible, terrible things he had done, some terrible things he had said. And as he finished, he was in tears. I could tell on the phone. He was crying. And I said, so what? God put it on my heart. So what? That doesn't matter now. God has taken all those things, your past failures, those sins, and he's casting them into the depths of the sea, and he will remember them no more. He wants you to have a new life, an abundant life, a fresh start, a new start. You are a new creation in Christ. Don't you want that? Don't you want that new life, that abundant life? I'm not just telling you this because it sounds good. I know it because I've experienced it myself, my friend, as I told him on the phone. He said, yes, I do. I want that life. 
I want to be needed and wanted. I want to be chosen. I said, you are. And Christ, through me, brought him new life that day. I shared the gospel with him. We met again a few days later and determined our church was a little far for him to go. He lived over in Tennessee, so got him connected with another church, and he got involved in that church. And to this day, as far as I know, he's still engaged and involved in that church. I tell you that story that no matter who you are, where you are right now in your faith journey, maybe you say, I don't have any faith. I want you to know that the love of God is pursuing you, and he's not going to stop. He may be pursuing you through a sister, through a brother, through a cousin, through a child, through a preacher, through a friend, and maybe you're tired of hearing it, but he's not going to stop pursuing you. Because that's the God that we serve. His purpose and his goal is for you to know him intimately and to receive his abundant grace and his forgiveness and his peace that surpasses all understanding. He has a new life for you, an abundant life. And he's not going to stop pursuing us until every knee shall bow and every tongue shall confess around the globe that Jesus Christ is Lord. So he's working and he's moving even in the midst of this confusion, this chaos. He's reminding us, that's not me. I'm not causing this confusing, confusing stuff. I'm not causing this chaos, this division. That's not me. That's you. That's man. But I have chosen you to be better than that. I've called you to a higher calling and a higher purpose. You know, this this story that Karen read for us just a few moments ago about Joseph, it takes up the last third of Genesis, Genesis chapter 37 through 50. And I thought about her reading that whole story, but if she read that story, it literally would take about 25 minutes for her to read that story. But she read one of the most significant, important stories in the entire scriptures. Now, to many of us, this, this story of Joseph it conjures up all kinds of images, you know, the, the coat of many colors and the jealousy amongst the brothers, the father's favorite son, oh, Joseph the dreamer, you know, and as this story opens in Genesis chapter 37, Joseph is the youngest of 11 brothers, and Joseph is the favored. He's only 17 years old, but he's got these great gifts. He, he has a, a gift of interpreting dreams, and he's just, he's his father's favorite and his father can't help it. He just loves this one better than the other ones. He's got all these unique gifts and talents. He's had them since birth. And so his other brothers, they're jealous. They're envious because they don't have it. In fact, these brothers plot a terrible, terrible story against their brother to sell him in slavery. Now, this isn't the, the story that helps us brush, on, brush up on, on family values. In fact, we might wonder why Jacob and Rachel don't handle this situation better. After all, surely they know that brothers can be divisive. Jacob and Esau, they begin fighting before they were even born. Why doesn't Jacob pay more attention to what's happening to his own family? Has anyone ever said that to you? You're telling everybody else how to raise their kids and what to do, and yet you're not paying attention to your own family and what you need to be doing with them. You're, you're helping everybody else, but you're, you're neglecting your own child or your own spouse or your own parents or your own in-laws. 
Because you're so concerned about everybody else, the people that you love the most usually get the least and the worst of you. Isn't that interesting? We find that in our families. We find that we, we appreciate least those we love the most. We just we figure, well, they know we love them. And so we take them for granted, don't we? Well, now's the time for us to wake up and realize that those right around us, we should be loving them and supporting them and encouraging them no matter what and constantly pursuing them as God pursues us. You've got people in your own family under your own roof that you're struggling with, people that are struggling with the faith. It could be a sibling. It could be a daughter. It could be a son. It could be an aunt. It could be an uncle. It could be a cousin. And God is saying, don't you give up on them. You need to take care of your household. And your household is not just the people that live behind your doors. It's bigger than that. So I want to encourage you to do that. So Jacob and Rachel, they're really not doing a great job on rearing their children at this point. So Jacob, he's the favorite. He's the child that, you know, everybody wants and wants their children to be like. Jacob, like his father Isaac, doesn't see what's unfolding beneath his eyes. His son is sold into slavery by his brothers. The deal is sealed, and with Joseph's coat still dripping with goat's blood, Joseph becomes a slave in Egypt. In Egypt, Joseph matures. He becomes a different person, and he rises to prominence, but he doesn't begin that way. He starts out as a slave. He starts out being abused. It's not a good life for him, but he rises to prominence becoming the Pharaoh's prime minister and one of the most powerful people on the planet. And who would have thought Joseph would gain such a status like this? And who would have thought that he and his brothers would meet again? Yet we see in the story that Karen read today, they met again. This famine is spreading across the land. Joseph's brothers, they come to Egypt. They're seeking relief because of Joseph's advice. Egypt is one of the few places that food can be found so he has wisdom with logistics and how to store food and all that. So there's food there in Egypt. When the brothers arrive, they don't recognize Joseph. I mean, he looks like an Egyptian now, man. He's got all the garb on. He's wearing all the jewelry. He's looking fine, and he's powerful. Joseph was merely a 17-year-old boy when they betrayed him. And now he's an adult. He's wearing clothing of nobility. He's shining Joseph recognizes them, but they don't recognize him. Now comes one of the most dramatic scenes in the entire Bible. This is where you want to really listen and hold on. Joseph instructs his brothers to fetch their father, Jacob, who's nearing death. Joseph wants to see his father one last time, and he also requires the youngest son, Benjamin, to stay behind while the other brothers go back to Canaan. It's a tense situation. In time, though, with all the family gathered, there's a reunion. Then Jacob dies. And the brothers fear that with Jacob gone, Joseph is going to take his revenge. But Joseph offers forgiveness instead. Rather than revenge, he offers mercy. In fact, there are tears streaming down his face. Joseph cries. The brothers cry. Everyone cries tears of reconciliation. Joseph expresses the grace of the moment. Do not be afraid. Am I in the place of God? Even though you intended to do me harm, God intended it for good. In order to preserve a numerous people as he's doing today. Even though 
The brothers intended him harm. God intended good. This is certainly not to say that God intended for Joseph to be treated inhumanely or that God intended for the brothers to plot murder. The glorious point here is that there is nothing beyond God's redemptive power of grace. Nothing. This grace makes us good enough even when we have failed. Do you hear that? This big burly football player thought he had failed, that he was not good enough. But God's grace makes us good enough even though we think we failed, even though we feel like we're still paralyzed by all these past failures, all this stuff that's going on. You know what I'm saying? His grace is always good enough. That makes you good enough. Now, this story, we're going to get theological on you real quick here. This story resists the notion of God's providence. Joseph's encounter with God is real, but it's elusive. God remains in the shadows behind the scenes, working toward the possible end, the best possible end. This story transcends national boundaries. It's grounded not in party affiliation or denominational heritage or national identity, but in God's goodness toward creation. Ultimately, nothing can prevent God's goodness from being fulfilled. Nothing can. Nothing can prevent God's goodness from being fulfilled. This story reminds us, and now hear me, church, this story reminds us that God isn't finished with us yet. That's good news. In a world becoming fragmented through racism and war, in a nation becoming fractured by violence and poverty and drugs and all sorts of addictions, the promise of God's goodness remains steadfast. Despite our worst intentions as a world to push God away and say we don't have a need for God, we got this, we can do this on our own, God redeems anyway. God can take the fragile pieces of our lives and weave them into a new creation, working behind the scenes to shape a whole new future. And he's working. He's working right now. You may not see him working. You're blind if you don't see him because he is working, ladies and gentlemen. He is moving in a mighty, abundant way. He's weaving a whole new future. That future brings redemption, the hope of forgiveness, acceptance, and freedom. Jesus is prophet, priest, and king. In him, we have a new record Regeneration, freedom, the Holy Spirit, a new power, a new heaven, and a new earth. Listen to me. Things aren't the way they're supposed to be right now. We're in this strange interim time, like a halftime or something, a really long halftime. Jesus is going to return, and he's going to make all things new. Between now and then, we've got a, a foretaste and an appetizer. You know when you go out to eat, you always like to get your appetizer. If you're like me, you've got a coupon for your appetizer, always have a coupon for the appetizer because that saves you like anywhere from 5 to $10 right there. And if you get water, that saves you two sixty nine dollars a person on a drink. So there you go. There's your you know, Clark Howard today. But think about that just for a moment. We're in this interim time, and God's given us a taste. He's given us an, an appetizer for what's to come. Life may seem like it's fleeting, but there is, there is a real hope. We have the promise of a future hope for tomorrow. The kingdom has come. You've been delivered from the, sins, from the penalty of sin. 
The kingdom is coming again, and you are being delivered from sin's domineering power. There will be no evil. There will be no suffering, no pain, no injustice, no death, no COVID. No, humanity will rule over God's creation with joy. He will empower them and equip them to rule over his creation with joy. And those are the people who feel like they're wounded and hurt and not good enough. Those are the people that he will breathe his life into, his spirit into, and help them. Make a way when there seems to be no way. And they will rule his creation with his power. It's Pentecost all over again, isn't it? You can already taste it, can't you? Taste and see how good the Lord is. That's what Holy Communion is. That's literally tasting the body and blood of Christ and realizing, man, this is good stuff. I'm feeding on the food and drink of the Holy Spirit. And he's... He's making me brand new as I do it. That's what it's all about. It's being that new creation that Paul speaks about. In 2 Corinthians 5, 17, we are new creatures, new creations in Christ. The old is gone. The new has come. Our hope is in him, making all things new. And he's going to do it. He's doing it right now. Don't give up. Don't lose hope. Because he's doing it. He's working. He's making a way right now. He's making us new every day. The more in touch and in tune you are with the Spirit, the more you're going to realize that reality. And you're going to realize, I don't live this life for me. I, I don't live this life for me, but I live this life for Jesus Christ. And he continues to pursue everyone with his love through me. That's an honor, ladies and gentlemen, that he's given us, that he's bestowed upon us. So whether it's you making sandwiches and putting together lunch bags or giving a donation to help a child have a life-saving surgery or to pay for hot dogs or really nice hot dog buns, whatever it is, everything that you do, it adds up to kingdom building. You're paving the way, you're making a way for Jesus' return to come to this earth when every single living, breathing human being will profess Christ as Savior. That's what he's waiting for. That's what he's waiting for. He's waiting on you to do your job. You're calling to make disciples, to love God, love people, and make disciples. It's the great commission and the great commandment. We don't vote on those things, do we? We just do it. That's what he's called us to do. Our hope is in him making all things new. Being confident of this very thing that which he began in us, a good work he began in us, he's going to be faithful to complete that good work through us by the power of Christ and the Holy Spirit. Let me say this before we start Holy Communion. God desires transformation of this entire world, not just one country, one nation, but the entire world. He loves all of us equally. Whether we live in Georgia, South Carolina, California, Botswana, New Guinea, or Old Guinea, if there is an Old Guinea, He desires all of us. And He loves us all equally. No matter what tribe or people group we're in. I want you to hear that. This church here at Misty Creek, we are desiring to become more like our community, not the other way around. We want people to see Jesus and not see us. And Jesus is the one who sees no color, no background, no party affiliation. He just sees his children that he loves so much. So whether you're a big burly football player or you're one of those skinny runners that runs every single day or you like to eat ice cream like me, 
He loves you and he has a purpose for you, a plan for you. He wants you to know that he wants us to welcome the stranger, the outcast, the one run that's thrown away, left out to die, that, that feels like they're nothing. He wants us to welcome that person because most likely one of us, if not all of us, has been that person before. We've been alone, we've been forsaken, and we've been hurt. But he's saying to you, I chose you. You're not going to be forsaken anymore. I love it. You're more than good enough, for you are children of the most high God. Jesus reminded his disciples of that very thing when he said, even though we are many, we are one. We are one. The body of Christ. One spirit, one Lord, one baptism. And so on that night, when he was to be betrayed, he took the bread and he said to his disciples, this is my body which is broken for you. Take and eat as often as you can in remembrance of me. And likewise, he took the cup of salvation and he said, this is my blood, the blood of the new covenant, which is shed for you and for the forgiveness of sins of all humanity. Take and drink as often as you can in remembrance of me. Jesus is saying to you, don't forget me. Don't forget me. When you see the person on the street corner or on the interstate on the side of the road who's begging for food, 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 for food, that's me. Don't pass me by. Don't give up on me. I've not given up on you. And so as we come and we receive Holy Communion, if you're watching us online, anything at your house can suffice for the bread and juice. Anything you want to get out of the refrigerator or the cupboard can be the body and blood of Christ today. And this is how that will work. Will you pray with me? God Almighty, we ask that you send your Holy Spirit upon this bread and juice. And whatever else people may be using for Holy Communion this morning, crackers, a beverage of any kind, Lord, make them be today for us your body and blood and that we would be your body redeemed by your blood, Lord. Lord, send your Spirit upon us, your people, Convict in us. Help us to know that we are good enough, that we are worthy. We are made worthy by the Lamb of God, your Son, Jesus Christ. And that his body and his blood was shed and broken because of us and for us. And so today we celebrate this sacrament, this outward invisible sign of an inward spiritual grace, knowing that we are the body and blood of Christ sent forth into the world to proclaim that love to keep pursuing people on your behalf. We pray this in the name of Jesus, our Savior, and all God's people said, amen. I'm going to have our ushers come now, and they're going to pass out these portable communion sets to you. It's very easy to use if you're using them today. You just There's a top peel for your wafer. Peel that first, and then the second peel is for your juice. Take your wafer first and drink your juice. And you might say as you're partaking yourself, this is the body and blood of Christ broken and shed for me. Thank you, Jesus, and just enjoy. We hope you were inspired by today's message. For more sermons from Misty Creek Community Church, be sure to subscribe on iTunes, Spotify, or wherever you like to stream your podcasts. You can also watch videos of our sermons and complete services on the Misty Creek Community Church YouTube channel. And while you're there, be sure to like, subscribe, and hit the notification bell. For more information about our church, including our mission, location, service times, and more, visit our website at mistycreekchurch.org. God bless you, and thank you for listening.